think our cohort uh, became very close um, and supportive of one another as we all kind of ventured into um, different kind of community engaged work and professional development in the last two years. I would just describe it as a space where you think about your own practice and how you can be more creative, innovative, and, and really think about the social justice aspects of community engaged work. I totally agree with Tiana. It's a, I, I think that that it's it's not overstructured to the point where the interactions don't become a major part of the experience. I'm Andrew Sellickson. I'm Emily Shields. And I'm Marisa Morales. And you're listening to the Compact Nation podcast. Hi, everyone. How are you doing this? uh, What's today? Wednesday. I'm good. This week has been a year. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you just came off a year. Iowa caucuses where you participated. What what were you doing during the caucus? I was um, one of five leaders for my precinct. We had a team of five who have been working for um, the last several months to plan a great experience for 850 of our neighbors. So yeah, I took, I was there most of Monday afternoon getting set up, making registra- making sure registration went smoothly and all that good stuff. And uh, I, I can't um, really say much about what happened after we left our caucus, but the caucus experience itself was actually really great and really smooth and a lot of fun. So. Yeah, I haven't been paying a lot of attention. What happened with the Iowa caucus? <laughs> um, well, you missed it. We are stupid. Just every Iowan is dumb and we can't count. And um, eh, that's about the size of it. <laughs> that's the narrative. That the That's the narrative. No, that which has really frustrated me because the truth is that a lot of volunteers worked really hard to engage their neighbors in an act of democracy. And I do think just from seeing folks talking about their precincts across the state that most of them went very smoothly, even more smoothly than in the past. And um, we had a lot of really cool efforts to engage more people like a Spanish language caucus and a sign language caucus um, and caucuses in other countries and states where Iowans are right now. and at other times of day and at places of employment where people were so they could participate. Um, There's actually a lot of good stories about this year's caucus, but that's not what's dominating right now. And hopefully we'll find out what happened. I have long had a theory that the greatest magic in the world is that somehow things mostly keep functioning and we get along and whatever, big systems work and all that. But if you know any particular system in any level of detail, you discover that inside it, it's total chaos. And (laughs) it just seems like this was one of those times where that got revealed about a thing that has probably always had that level of chaos inside it, but it works, it has a way of working despite that. And it's part of a larger process that ends up going where it needs to go. And then boom. But I, I was also, I saw photos of like, uh, 
a big a precinct that had a big Burmese American population where lots of new immigrants had turned out to participate and, and other things like that that were just inspiring and are important in a way that how these things get tallied. I mean, ultimately, 1% of delegates are selected in Iowa. That part of it is it matters, but it is not determinative in the election. And the fact that lots and lots of people turned out and that, as you said, the system has worked to continue to accommodate greater participation by people who have lives that are complex and whatever. That's a great thing. And it ought to be celebrated. Yeah. And the I mean, the greater levels of participation are part of what makes this so complicated. You know, it was hard for us to find a place to have our caucus. Um, it's hard to count that many people and make sure you're getting it right. I mean, it's it's the more people you have, the harder it is, which is a challenge we welcome. But here we are. <laughs> yeah, there's a group of uh, Puerto Ricans from Chicago through the Puerto Rican agenda that went down to Iowa to like put out there for the candidates, like what's their Puerto Rico policy. And so, uh, yeah, so there were some good photos. I was trying to connect them with you, but they never reached out. So I was like, Oh, I would have loved that. We, I mean, on our caucus team, we recruited like 40 some volunteers to help the night go smoothly. We had, you know, three guys from New York and a man and his daughter from California. Um, Colleges were represented. People from University of Southern California and Purdue and Emerson College were all at my caucus, uh, you know, observing, having courses about it, experiential learning. So it was great. Well, let me know maybe next year or whenever I'll come down with Diego and we'll help you all. Hopefully. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we'll, we'll see where it is in four years. I'm even ready to think about that. It's not, it's not over for, for this time yet. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, it is. I think that, you know, I'm just, I'm a, I'm a people first person. And I think what gets lost in the Twitter conversation a lot of time is just like, this is a lot of people working really hard and honestly doing their best. And I don't think I don't think there's a big conspiracy or anything crazy going on other than that. And I, I wish we did a better job of keeping that in mind because there's people that I know and love and care about being really um, hurt by a lot of the comments happening. And that's, that's hard. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. How about you, Andrew? How are you doing? I'm doing good. I don't know if I have anything special to report. The United States men's national soccer team looked good on Saturday night in a friendly against Costa Rica. That was that was uh, inspiring a little bit. And the women are off to a rollicking start in their Olympic qualifying. So, you know, that, that keeps me happy. That's good. That's good. Well, for me, just, uh, you know, sort of keeping Puerto Rico in my thoughts. And, you know, um, I went to a, a fundraiser for earthquake relief this past um, Sunday and then talked to a friend of mine who lives in um, Lajas, which is one of the areas in the South is impacted. So I talked to him yesterday and he was telling me how he's sleeping in the back of his truck and, you know, just, um, you know, folks in some of the more rural areas, uh, you know, how they haven't been getting help. And so I think, you know, a group from uh, Chicago is going down uh, next week to get some resources down there. So just, you know, folks out there in compact nation land, if you have an opportunity to give or help out. Um, because what's also sad is like with everything that's going on, um, 
currently in the States politically. Um, the story of Puerto Rico has kind of gone to the to the wayside and sort of keeping it uh, up front so the folks who need the help can get it. Um, all right. So we have an exciting podcast um, today for you all. Uh, we were able to interview, I was able to interview or have a conversation with um, three participants in our Engaged Scholars Initiative. And so this is a pilot program that we developed this year with uh, three of our regions, the Eastern region, the Midwest region, and the Western region to engage early career faculty and community engagement professionals in a cohort-based experience focused on um, equity, um, on social justice, and on scholarly work. And so had a conversation with uh, participants from each of the cohorts about their experience and, um, you know, what has been some of their takeaways. I've had the um, honor of, uh, with Julie Plout from Brown University to facilitate um, the trainings and, and uh, retreats with these ESI scholars and uh, just having a chance to kind of hear directly from them what they've been getting out of it was really special for me. And uh, we hope to share that with you now. Hello, how are you guys today? Doing well. Awesome. Well, how are you? Pretty good, pretty good. So I'm wondering, I'm excited to have this conversation about the Engaged Scholars Initiative with uh, our Engaged Scholars from uh, the Eastern Region, Midwest, and the Western Region. So if you can all just start, um, I guess we'll start with uh, the Eastern Region rep, since that's the one we started first. Uh, if you can introduce yourselves uh, to our podcast listeners. Hi, I'm uh, Jennifer Rosales, and I'm the executive director of the Center for Engaged Pedagogy at Barnard College. Great. Thanks, Jennifer. And when you started the program, you weren't not at uh, in your current position. So where were you at before? Uh, so when I started, I started with Georgetown, actually. I was the uh, Director of Research and Evaluation for the Center of Social Justice Research, Teaching, and Service. How long um, was that business card? Yeah, it was, it, was too, <laughs> it was too long, actually. And my email was um, written incorrectly. So... Uh, <laughs> awesome, awesome. And uh, our rep from the Midwest? Yes. Uh, good day, everyone. My name is Tiana McLaurin, um, Assistant Director of Service Learning at Marquette University. Wonderful. Thanks, Anna. Uh, and from our uh, Western Region cohort. Uh, hi. Hi. Can you introduce yourself? Uh, Mike Humphrey from Colorado State University. And what's your role there? I'm an assistant professor in the Journalism and Media Communication Department. Awesome. Thanks. Um, so we've got a mix between faculty and community engagement professionals, which is uh, just how we designed the program. So uh, we're excited to have that representation here. So, you know, a lot of folks don't know about the Engaged Scholars Initiative. This was a pilot program that we ran this year in um, three of our regions across the country. So if you all could, you know, if somebody was asking you about ESI, um, what would you tell them? 
Um, Jennifer, you want to start? Sure. Um, so it was, uh, it started as an initiative to bring together um, administrators and faculty engaged in community research um, early in their careers. Or, um, and uh, for us, it became kind of a space to talk about what we did, to talk about what we see in the future. Um, and also just kind of a, I would say, a, like a learning community of practice. Um, I think our cohort uh, became very close um, and supportive of one another as we all kind of ventured into um, different kind of community engaged work. Um, um, and professional development in the last uh, almost two years. Yeah. Diana, for you, how would you yes. decide? For, for me, I will say that it is a very organic and open space for you to really think about your practice. And so it's not... Um, super structured in a way where, you know, some of the programs may say, okay, you're publishing, all right, get all of these drafts done, here's a timeline, here's all this, but I think it's organic and open on purpose for you to start dreaming, creating um, something very different um, for your work as a, an engaged scholar. So that is what I appreciate about it. Um, I've already connected with um, another person in my cohort and we already did a presentation and we're thinking about um, working on that presentation a, a little bit more. And so I just appreciate the space. So I, I would just describe it as a space for you to think about your own practice um, and how you can be more creative, innovative, and, and really think about the social justice aspects of community engaged work. Right. And Mike, for you? Uh, I think my experience would make me uh, describe it as building a community about building communities um, around our our experiences and our knowledge base, um, and also about expanding our understanding uh, about how those experiences could apply beyond what are our. Our, our set communities, the communities that, that we don't choose and, and, um, and sort of get set into and then learning how to expand beyond that uh, through a lot of just interaction. I totally agree with Tiana. It's a, I, I think that, that it's, it's not overstructured to the point where the interactions um, don't become a major part of the experience. Hmm. So if you can talk about maybe the relationship building that uh, has happened for you so far in the program and understanding that you're all at different stages. So Jennifer, uh, your cohort has done three retreats already with the fourth coming up and uh, both uh, Tiana and Mike, your cohorts have done one. We've got one coming up uh, in a few weeks uh, for the Midwest. So how's that relationship building sort of manifested in your experience? I think for I think for me, um, on the first day of our retreat, when we were doing our Pecha Kuchas, it was all, we, <laughs> we were already like, oh, you said this, which sparked this. We should do this together. And there was this uh, energy, this excitement around, wow, someone else, we're on the same thought pattern or process, so we should do something. And so I think that, um, you know, capitalizing on that is, is very important. So I'm actually looking forward to the next retreat because now the ice is broken a little bit mm. and we can get a little bit deeper in how we can collaborate. How can, how can we support 
you know, one another. When we have our on-call meetings and I'm listening to the updates of what folks are doing, you know, I'm genuinely excited for them because it's almost like there's a, you know, oh, yes, you know, now I have this space that I can really think. And like I said, dream and, you know, be creative. And so how can I capitalize off that and then um, give resources, you know, be very generous with the resources and knowledge that I have to give to people in my cohort. So the community building part um, is, I think, is important. And um, I'm just excited for the next retreat. Thanks. Jennifer or Mike? Yeah, I would say the community aspect is probably, um, if there was a best aspect, my favorite aspect. Um, I think our group, um, like you said, has been through a few retreats. At one point, I think we initiated. Oh yeah. We asked for <laughs> like more. we want one more. <laughs> we wanted one more. Um, we are, uh, I would say that, yeah, it was a combination of both the exercises and structure that were created um, and just being in the same space together, like to be at a Campus Compact conference together and to kind of come from similar, um, similar, I would say, theoretical backgrounds about social justice um, and, and ideas about the potential of what higher ed could be. I think we... Um, I think both bonding on our ideas and our practices and in, in, in those more structured spaces and those open spaces. Um, I've had Kim Rogers um, come present her research to Barnard faculty um, here. Uh, Sam um, has had me uh, consult with a faculty member at Southern Maine and I'm putting together a presentation um, for her faculty there. Uh, John is going to present with me at um, our campus compact uh, national conference. Um, so I definitely see the the connections on that end. And then our Google chat, everybody's texting back and forth in that space. Um, and um, I would add like the humor, like besides the fact that we all think in the same way, I feel like we all have kind of a similar or at least a um, a sense of humor that, that, that builds off of one, one another's, which I think there's a lot of space. I think there's a lot of space for us to share kind of some of the challenges that we've come across in this kind of work. Right. Um, and also that space to be able to uh, laugh and enjoy one another's company. Hmm. Mike? I, I don't think I've ever had an experience of watching the, the walls people bring into a room collapse quite as quickly as they did in, in our first cohort uh, retreat. I, I think, um, and I agree, I think the, I think the, this, the fact that there's some trust that we're coming from, from different, points of, uh, different points of view, but kind of a similar uh, commitment to social justice helps with that to, to, to a degree. But I also think just the way everything was structured sort of made you dig deep into yourself right away, the Pecha Kuchas, uh, and, and listen carefully in, in ways that I don't know that at least as an academic, I'm, I'm used to seeing that often, you know, I, I wasn't thinking about what I was going to say next, you know, I wasn't thinking about how we're going to argue these points out or, or like, you know, writing down the next reading, I was actually connecting to human beings in this, um, in this really intimate way very early on. And, um, as you know, Marisol, I, I at one point had to take a walk because it was, it was, uh, starting to just become intense. I, you know, and, and, uh, and, and, um, and, but there was also this, this, uh, this sort of 
community of care that was sitting there allowing you to be who you need to be as an individual as you were being woven into this fabric. And uh, when we walked away the, after the uh, the third day, you know, you really did feel like you were you were part of a fabric of something. And and um, and that's that just continues through these through these meetings. Thanks. Guess it make you start crying. <laughs> um, so one of the things that we sort of tried to to do with some uh, intentionality with this this program was um, create a diverse cohort, both in terms of like racial and ethnic background, academic disciplines, types of institutions, uh, gender, right? Like really embody this idea of um, diversity and equity that you know we're trying to really think through as, as Campus Compact and as our Campus Compact network. So if you can kind of speak to, to that within your experience, um, what you saw, what you experienced, what came up um, in, in terms of that. Um, I, I can start um, just by saying that I think one of the most profound experiences I've had in a long time was the listening circle. Um, you know, and, and that's where I think the, the, the plurality of our, of our cohort came out most clearly. And it, it made me think about my position, which I, I do think a lot about, but it, it made me think about it at this, at this really core level. And, um, and I've, I've been thinking about that ever since, uh, you know, all, you know, all of the, uh, all of the privileges I walk around with on a, on a daily basis. Um, and, and what that does to the way I look and listen to the world around me. Um, I think, I think I felt a shift in me that day that it, that is, that has kept shifted. And I mean, in kind of an uncomfortable and a good kind of lack of comfort. Um, and I, I'm not sure, without the kind of trust that we had at that point, I, I could have, I could have allowed that um, inside of me because I clearly haven't, and I'm not a young man. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for sharing. Jennifer, Tiana? Yeah, I would say what I think this ESI has done really well is um, connect the personal to the structural. Um, and so I think it's been really interesting. I think in terms of creating a diverse group of people, I mean, sure, we are racial, we're ethnic, we're, you know, everything is like, yes, our, what would you call them? Our identifiers are... <laughs> Would mark the box, but also things like working at a community college, working at a small college, working at an R1 college. And so some of those structural issues that we don't think about are very different depending on where you're at. But I think like our personal responses to them um, has been really moving to kind of try to teamwork together how to think through things like you're teaching six courses um you know you're you're responsible as a faculty member to talk about financial aid with students because the college is you know um having financial troubles so just i i feel like it's a this was a really good space to kind of connect our our work and the work we do with students to kind of those larger structural spaces um, and to, I want to say, 
um, how do you say, like, I think we would get cynical and we would get down. Um, and that's where you come in. That's where my audience will come along and <laughs> remind us about the great work we do and why we do it. Um, and then I think we would build back up. And so I, I think it was, uh, the process really enabled kind of those ebbs and flows as, as, as we remembered where our agency is, where our students agency is, but also to be realistic about kind of those structural issues that, um, that um, do impact diversity and equity and inclusion at our schools. For me, I would say we're, we're kind of still in the beginning because we've only had one um, retreat. We're coming up on our second retreat, but I always appreciate programs that are extremely intentional in language and in process with making sure that the group is very diverse. Um, when I came into the field of service learning, I said, wow, this is a very white space, a very mm-hmm. white space. I'm not much opportunity for um, diverse voices in, in, in some spaces, but that's what I appreciate about it. And also um, the real conversation. So right now in my uh, career, I'm sometimes bumping up against people who don't want to have uh, real conversations, especially around race and, and social justice, which is a key component in any type of community engagement work. And so for, you know, to hear Dr. Tania Mitchell just like be real um, is just very important. And, and, and to also have people not shy away um, from those conversations. And so that is what I'm appreciating thus far. So especially the process and in language saying we want people who are, you know, a faculty community, you know, just, I just appreciate that part. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I guess, you know, I would say what for you right now, where were your ads? What are your um, kind of key takeaways? And then what are your hopes for, for this program? It's a deep question, huh? (laughs) (laughs) We can come back to it if you want. I I think I can. I think I can. I I think my key takeaway so far, you know, after a few of our online meetings, as well as, um, as meeting together the first time, is the idea I had coming into cohort uh, is in some ways a very, it's, it's a very, uh, tender idea. Like it, it needs to be treated. And I knew that it needs to be treated with great care or it could create harm. And, um, and I think walking away, I had, I had two distinct senses, uh, from our, from our first, uh, retreat. One is, this can be done. And part of the reason I felt like it could be done is because I had some really good talks with people who I trusted, um, you know, would listen to me and tell me the truth about, about the idea. But, but I think it also gave me a sense of how to be careful, um, how to treat communities uh, that I don't uh, automatically belong to, how to treat communities that, that my communities have marginalized um, you know, how to enter those in ways that isn't 
isn't it false? Cause you could be, you could be false in the, I'm not going to think about anything about this and just run through this and be the typical researcher, but you can also be false by, by saying all the right things and thinking, you know, that you're, you're, you're looking right, but you're not being authentic. Um, and, uh, and so I felt like this can be done, but it's probably even harder than I thought it was going to be. And, and that's probably a good, good, good way to, 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 to leave that. So going forward, I, I just, I want to learn how to, I feel like more than learning any particular skills, I, I need to learn how to sort of untangle the net inside of me about the ways I've been thinking about um, entering communities that are not my own for my, for my, I was a journalist before this and, you know, my entire career I've been doing this and I, and, and uh, like I have these, I think of this as a sort of tangled net of both fear and assumptions and, and all, and I'm the problem. Like I can, I can sense that I'm the problem here. And so rather than like practicing a technique that makes me look right to like keep using the reflexivity this group uh, affords us, um, to, to do the real untangling, to, to really look at it and say, this, this is actually what's going on. It's inside of you. Um, the system inside the individual is, you know, as we talked about earlier. Yeah. Yeah. I think to bounce off of that, I think, um, I think we've spent a good amount of time talking about authenticity too in our group. And I think I could say that I've actually seen that materialize as I've taken on in a new position in the sense of I've had to make a lot of new, um, friends, colleagues, inroads. I have a new center. I'm a new person. I'm not from New York. Um, and I really think approaching this as me, <laughs> whether it's with students or it's with faculty, um, and eventually we'll be community partners. Like I really do see, um, that that's okay. Um, and that that works. Um, and that, um, you, uh, in many ways, it's a lot easier. <laughs> um, some, you know, in, in some instances, I'd say a little more challenging than others, but um, I definitely think that I think there's been a like a level of courage ESI has given me to be more honest. Um, and then I would definitely say community. Um, I think, you know, when the two years is up and we can't force retreats on ourselves anymore, I still imagine that like we will find ways to continue to see each other, and if not see each other, at least champion each other yeah. in our paths to really um, think about um, how we can change higher ed to be more diverse and equitable um, for students, um, for knowledge creation, um, for, um, you know, I, I definitely feel, I don't know, I feel pretty positive. I, I feel like it's left us, like, as I see where, you know, we've got six more months, um, I'm feeling I, I would say on the on the, the high end of like what what the potential is that can come out of the, our group. So my takeaway is that my takeaway thus far is me being very comfortable and confident in my own skill set because I'm coming into a space where you have people who have their PhDs and they have, you know, all of this, you know, theoretical stuff and they've done this, they've done that. And, you know, there are some people who have it. Like I'm just now getting um, a master's degree in student affairs and higher education. So, but to be picked for this program, to know that, no, you do, you do come with an expertise because you've been in community 
um, is something that I'm, I'm becoming more comfortable with and not being swayed by the titles um, that people have. Um, so that's one um, takeaway. Another takeaway is, you know, being okay with pushing um, and challenging and, and, and being curious with people when we're talking about social justice, community engagement, because that is very near, dear to my heart. Like I have a lot of years of experience working in the community and I've seen a lot. And so, um, you know, the level of authenticity is, is also uh, extremely important when you are approaching people and, and how do you also honor the expertise that people have. And so that's another takeaway. Um, what I'm hoping is that I will have a really good idea of what, of how I want to frame my work going forward. So I just did a study abroad trip, which was great, excellent in Ghana. And I've just been thinking about, you know, frame of work. Like, what are you basing your work and practice on? What are you standing on? What are you grounding yourself with? And so I'm hoping that uh, by the end of this program, I will have a working product, whether it's a presentation, whether it's um, working on a paper or something that um, that I can start moving forward. And then also being very clear about how I'm grounding myself in the work that I do as far as uh, being a community engaged scholar. Thanks. And I guess my final question um, for each of you, like what made you apply to this program? Um, I thought, I was like, oh, that finally a program that, that fits me, that, that I can, that fits me. I think I like, that, response. Yeah, like, okay, I, you know, this, this seems like I could do this. Um, and it's, it's not too structured. Um, and it's not too kind of you know, intellectualized and stuff. Like we stay in the air of, of theories and, and whatnot. Sometimes, some programs. So I just thought like, wow, this would be, I just thought it, it fits me. It fits me, it's, it's right up my alley, can connect with other people. I can really see and, and get a grasp of, you know, what this work really means. So that's why, that's what attracted me and that's why I applied. Thanks. Yeah, I would say I had a very similar reaction when I read the description. I was like, oh my gosh, this is me. <laughs> um, I think that connected, like I have always been someone that has been a champion of that theory and that practice and how important that is. And I never knew there was a community around that until I got to Georgetown and Georgetown was very good at showing me Campus Compact and um, the larger world of this. And I wasn't this lone scholar thinking I was going to invent something that hadn't like had a massive, um, massive, massive, uh, resources behind it. But, um, so I always felt like that was something exciting. And so, but this was the first time that like, I felt like you, there was going to be a way of, uh, framing that theory and that practice in a larger community of people that were also doing this work around the same kind of, um, stages of me and like that real connection between the administrative and the faculty connection was also helpful. Um, mm -hmm. So like finding other people that, that were at that 
that kind of crossroads of doing both of those those areas of work and what that means for higher ed. Um, I also like that we all got to create our own projects. So even though we were going to talk, talk holistically about what this meant, we also could come in with our own vision and our own project. Um, and I liked I liked the balance of, of, of those two components of this as well. Um, I think I think I came from the opposite end of that spectrum, which is I didn't know anything. <laughs> you know, I, I really was like, "What is this?" And and um, when I started reading about, it, I was like, "Ah, oh, this this is exactly what that's this is exactly what the entire academy needs." Actually, that's, that's <laughs> um, you know, and uh, and me, like I I'd been wondering how. To, to you know to connect with the all the, the the dissertation work and all the the papers I was writing I was like this is great eight people are going to read it it's not going to make a difference you know how do I make a difference with what I'm learning here and what when I saw that I was like this is this is how I can learn how to how to actually connect this back to everyday lives which to me is the only point of doing it in the first place and but you know I didn't know how and when I saw this opportunity I was like I I think if nothing else I'm just going to learn a lot and be challenged a lot and and that's good and uh but I think it might also like help me understand an avenue uh that that could that could actually take what I've what's been rambling uh, up in my head from reading and writing and and actually meet people again and uh, and and hopefully be of value somehow. Uh, There's the yeah. Shel Silverstein book. Um, I think it's the missing piece. Where like it's searching for its piece. It's searching for its piece. And I feel like ESI is like that. Where it's like let's find our piece. Let's find our piece. And like at the end of the day, you don't you don't need to piece something with you, you can find other ones like you and you can all roll along together. And I feel like that's kind of what this was. It's like, it's okay to be the strange thing that doesn't fit completely into like a higher ed um, idea of what it means to be an academic. Um, but at the same time, there are others like you and, and that's totally okay. That's kind yeah. of yeah. Well, I think for us, you know, um, as like facilitators and, um, you know, staff who are are supporting this like it's been you know an honor to sort of see the evolution in each of the cohorts and while there's some activities that we do similar across the cohorts it is really dynamic each cohort you know speaks to like the needs at that time um and so um i love going to the retreats i love spending time with with you all it brings me a lot of joy um and, you know, I think that um, one of the things we often miss in our work is um, the ability to have fun, right? We talk about community, but, you know, um, community is not community if you can't have fun with each other, if you can't enjoy each other's company. So I believe that, like, we try to mix the sort of serious <laughs> with the silly, uh, and that's okay. Um, and that um, in the creation of that space, um, you know, it's sort of a, it's, sort of a permission, right, to, like, be authentic, create change, push the envelope, um, and, you know, rethink what higher education is, um, especially in this time. So I just want to thank you all for your time and sharing, you know, sort of your takeaways, your experience um, with the ESI cohort. Um, you know, we're in the process now of evaluating, um, you know, whether we continue since this year was a, a pilot year. Um, and so uh, I'd say yes, but 
<laughs> you know, there's a lot of other things behind it. But, um, thank you all. And, you know, obviously when uh, we sort of introduced this, like there was a cohort about 10 years ago that Julie brought together from across the country. And so, you know, some conversations um, at Brown with folks who had participated in it before and sort of reintroducing the idea to us, but then making it kind of where Campus Compact is right now. Uh, helped us think about, you know, these sort of regional cohorts and what that means. And um, I hope to that you guys all get to meet each other. Um, you know, we have opportunities through our national conferences and gatherings um, so we can bring all the cohorts together. So, but I just want to thank you again for your time, your participation uh, and your openness um, to be part of this program. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So I hope you all enjoyed um, the conversation that I had with the ESI scholars. Um, now it's time for our Sparks Joy section of the podcast. So who wants to go first? I'll go because I have um, I think it's a pattern of somewhat you could interpret it as a joyless Sparks Joy. So I'm going to I'll start there and then we can end on more joyous, joyful notes. OK, uh, so. <laughs> I don't know. I think I, I think if you review my Sparks Joy history, a lot of them meet that criterion. To most people, they would sound joyless, but but they spark joy for me. So uh, I got a Kindle over the holidays. So that sparks like ambivalence because um, <laughs> Amazon controlling my life, right. feeding the beast. And yet it has made it much easier for me to read on the subway which is a thing I like to do, but just the logistics with a book that wants to flip closed and or a heavy book that it's hard to hold in one hand while you're holding on to a like a pole or whatever. So it turns out I'm reading a lot more because I can use subway time that way. And it has enabled me to dig into two books in succession that I'd been meaning to read, but these barriers to reading had prevented me. One is a book by a Cambridge uh, political scientist named David Runciman called How Democracy Ends. And the other is a book by a pair of Harvard political scientists named Stephen Levitsky and Daniel Zyblatt called How Democracies Die. This is the part that doesn't sound like it would spark joy. <laughs> Uh, but <laughs> are you telling us something, Andrew? Work, yeah. Right Listen, yeah, that's right. Uh, I'm sort of like the uh, the angel of death for <laughs> for American democracy. And uh, well, I don't think that's you. Well, fair, <laughs> fair enough. Uh, no, the, this was the thing about these books is. Um, so democracies do die; they die in particular ways. David Runciman's book. The How Democracy Ends is less about sort of collapse into totalitarianism or something and more about like what might actually succeed the form of democracy we have now, like what is plausible in that way, which is actually it's a very interesting kind of meditation on the way technology is changing relationship to power and whatever. So there's a lot that's interesting in there. But one of the things that just pops through in both these books is the fact that Basically, until the very end, it's still about what people choose to do and the ways that we 
can get our act together to act collectively, to put pressure on political leaders, et cetera. And I think like it's clear that we've missed some important points along the way where some checking on where we were heading would have been really useful. But it's also clear that there's a lot of baseball to be played and that the from my perspective, the the increased level of engagement of all kinds of people, including and especially young people, uh, can still make a huge difference in how this story ends. And that's that's encouraging to me, even though, yeah, it's kind of like we're, we're in a position you you wouldn't want to in the abstract have to contemplate. But here we are. So my Kindle is sparking joy by giving me access to ideas that in a strange and twisted way give me hope. <laughs> Always end with hope. <laughs> Emily, what sparks joy for you? Well, you know, my brain capacity right now is such that all I want to say is that the potato bar in the cafeteria downstairs is sparking joy for me today. (laughs) But I will really go back to saying that the caucuses and specifically um, our member campuses in Iowa worked really hard to engage students in the caucuses and just seeing, I mean, I, my caucus was at Drake um, on on Monday. And that was great. And the student caucus there ran out of voter registration forms and had to come to our caucus to get more, which is great. Um, A ton of the other campuses had mock caucuses and campus caucuses. Um, Our campus election engagement project fellow at the University of Iowa, Jocelyn Roof, chaired her caucus and did a really great job. So um, the student engagement in the caucus is, is uh, always sparks joy for me and continued to this year. Well, my sparks joy is a, a bit more personal. So I was able to finish collecting uh, my interviews and my data for my dissertation. And so full steam ahead, I've got an aggressive Ooh. timeline to turn in my manuscript. Um, but what really sparks joy is that, um, because I feel it close and my goal is to graduate at the end of May, uh, I went on Etsy and ordered my Dr. Morales tiara. Um, and so it should be coming soon. And I will be shipping <laughs> that probably work everywhere I go. So <gasps> oh my gosh. I can't yeah. wait. Will you bring it in March? Well, I'm not going to have to wait. Well, I'm actually official, you know, okay. uh, yeah, but once I'm official, yeah. I yeah. mean, I only I only, you know, dust off my Dr. Seligson tiara for special occasions. But I have a lot of questions about you wearing a tiara. Like, what like, does it attach to? There's some. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's like I actually have some, um, some rivets that I can kind of grommets or some kind of. <laughs> yeah, Velcro, uh, Velcro yeah. might work too. Yeah, there's uh, there's a whole range of um, <laughs> kind of boring technology for like anchoring my tiara. Yes. But uh, we'll post a picture with me and my Dr. Morales tiara on our Campus Compact website when yes, you know, I'm official. So yes, we will. I think we'll probably just turn over the front page of our website <laughs> right, to a exactly. photo of you oh, wearing your Dr. Classic. Morales yes. tiara. I would, yeah, I would seems appropriate. That. Oh, right. <laughs> oh, we have fun. 
So that's it from us at Count Pack Nation Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. And as always, don't forget to rate and review our show. If you have any questions or suggestions, email us at podcast at compact.org or chime in on social media with the hashtag Compact Nation Pod. Um, thanks, everyone, and uh, be well. Bye-bye. Bye. Compact Nation podcast comes to you from Campus Compact's national headquarters in the Leather District of Boston, Massachusetts. Our hosts are Marisol Morales, Emily Shields, and me, Andrew Seligson. Our producer is Molly Altiorem Leeper. Music is by Andrew Savage. You can find more of his music at andrewsavage.net. As always, you can find us online at compact.org slash podcast or on social media at hashtag compactnationpod. Thanks for listening. I am the podcat.